I want to keep it simple today as we look at this. As I said, verse 9 is the key verse I want to keep our eyes on. But the simple point I think we could make this morning, and it's going to sound overly simplistic, is this. If you want to know God's will, pray. Paul here prays with joy. He doesn't say the word joy. At least I didn't catch it there. But that spirit that he has, the attitude that he has, is a joyful one. You can hear it in there in the text. Paul prays joyfully for the church at Colossae. And Paul, I would suggest to you, can pray joyfully for this church because Paul prays to know God, not to get to know stuff. And you can see that revealed in his prayer. He prays that they would know God, not to get anything out of it, but to get to know God. And so I want to start with a challenging question. I've been asked this by others uh, over the past couple years, and I think it's a good question to ask yourself regularly as we consider prayer. That's simply this. What's the quality of your prayer life? I've been pastoring in churches for 15 years and doing ministry uh, in other contexts longer than that. And I would suggest to you that my experience is that it's very easy for a lot of us as believers to become content with where we are in prayer and our devotional life. In fact, far too easy to get into a rut and to be satisfied with where we are at. Where we get to the point where we're so comfortable with just the verses we know and the formats that we know and the prayer points that we know that there actually is little opportunity for challenge and growth in the Lord. And so it's a really good question to consider. That doesn't mean do away with everything you're doing if you have a habit of prayer and devotional life. It doesn't mean that. It means ask yourself a question about the quality of that and how you can move it to the next step. God works in and through us when we pray. I know that uh, in our family, as just as an example, we've been blessed over the years when, you know, one of our daughters has been in the hospital quite a lot over the years and a lot of medical issues. And now I've pastored in three churches. We've been part of many more churches than that. And it's remarkable when you can have people from three, four, five churches, various small groups you've been a part of over the years, praying for you. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it, that the church can do? I love that. Now, the quantity of prayer doesn't mean God's going to do something more because more people are praying. That's not how prayer works. But I will say, and this isn't an effect of prayer so much, it has a mental effect on us for sure. We're thankful. We're thankful for so many people who care. But I will tell you that within that, when we pray for others and go to God on behalf of others, there is an unrecognized, often unrecognized work of God going on there. And, and it is an effect of prayer. That is, that people would care to pray for others is a work of God. That people would care to do other things, service from their heart for Christ, is a work of God as well. Cards and balloons and all the other stuff that comes from that. But, but the very fact that people would care to pray for others is a work of God. Let me give just some thought on this. In Paul's day as he addresses this to the church in Colossae. Paul's living in the Roman Empire, first century. In that day and age, it was still a carryover from the Greek philosophers 
uh, and lively in their culture that mercy was a character defect. Well, to the Christian life, to those who follow Christ, mercy is a virtue. Those two are at competition with one another. The very fact that we would care for one another actually is a work of God, I would propose. And you can see that uh, in that it, it kind of hangs on still in our culture that's giving up on God more and more. As we see shirts and stickers on water bottles and things that say, be kind and all that. But I would propose to you, and I've, I've uh, been in these conversations, that if you stop someone who didn't follow Christ and asked, why be kind, the rationale would not be very deep, other than because we should or because that's right or something in those lines, but not much of a defense beyond that. And you can see that our natural state, actually, I would suggest more and more as we move away from God, is to not be people who think of others as much is to be people who think of ourselves. Uh, I'm going to use some giving stats as sort of a proof, if you will, or an example of this. Um, so this is from the Barna Group. They point out that within the last couple of years, these, these numbers come. 84% of millennials, I'm not picking on millennials, it's just a good figure to help. 84% of millennials, culture-wide, give less than $50 a year to anything charitable. It's easier to think about ourselves. Interestingly, and this isn't from Barna, this is from Nonprofit Source, uh, another uh, one of these groups, but 37% of regular church attendees and evangelicals don't give money to church at all. It's easier to think about ourselves. That means a lot of people are, though, which is very nice. Also interesting, uh, tithers make up only 10 to 25% of normal congregational life. So God does a work in us, and all of a sudden we start to look outward and it's a remarkable thing. And 77% 77 of those who tithe actually give way more than the tithe, 11 to 20%. When God does a work in us, and I'm not saying that this to give to the offering plate more. We already took the offering, so you don't have to worry about that. I'm saying that because it's easier to think about ourselves. but when God does a work in us, we start to look outward. We start to look and care for others, and our prayer life should reflect that as much as any other part of our life. And so Paul, I think verse 9 is a, a key part of what he's saying. In verse 10, we're not going to go on about that, but verse 10, if you read it, is really the, the outflow of this. But verse 9, Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul wants them to have the knowledge of the will of God. And Paul prays joyfully for them. And I think there's something between those two if we put them together, right? What do we get when we pray joyfully? Well, Paul can see the reason to do it. Paul, if you kind of read through the rest of the chapter, and we'll be in Colossians 1 next week as well, but Paul, uh, the content of Paul's prayer is concerned for the pressures that the church in Colossae faces. They have people who are trying to push on them to give up on the gospel, to abandon the faith, to seek salvation elsewhere, to put their hope in something lower. And Paul prays joyfully that that is not the outcome, that in fact they have the opposite, that they have the knowledge of the will of God. That would be a great result from praying joyfully, wouldn't it? To have the knowledge of the will of God. And, and I'll tell you, I said at the beginning, if you want to know God's will, pray. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if it were just that simple, right? I'm going to guess that most of us wish 
God would send us a nice directed text message, email, card in the mail, not a business size envelope, but like a handwritten card, you know, very nice with directions on it, a DM, whatever it is. I suspect that we all would love it when t- things are tough and we need to make a decision. If God would just do it that obviously. This is your next step. Here it is, delivered in the mail for you. I remember talking to a, when we were hiring a couple hires ago around here for an office position, I was talking to somebody on the phone who was just a first job interview and only job interview as it turns out. Very nice. Uh, on the other end of the line, she was trying to figure out what to do with her life and thought maybe working for us part-time would be it. It became clear in the conversation that wasn't. She realized she didn't, wasn't quite theologically on the same page as us on a few things. Um, and then she just finally, at the end of it, said, boy, it would just be nice if God would just send like an airplane in the sky to skywrite. What's the next thing? So it was just that obvious. And I said, well, the beautiful thing here is that we already figured out that this probably isn't the job for you. So we got some direction. Perhaps God even gave that to us. We wish God would make it that clear. Okay, this is not the place for you. But what if we're in a position, and we take that same kind of example, where we had four job opportunities before us, or four opportunities to do anything, all ethical, all moral, all fine for us to do. We want specific answers, but is it possible that we could faithfully do the will of God doing any one of those things? Is it possible that as long as we're faithful to God's will for the world, we're doing God's will? in that moment. How would we get to know that information? That perhaps we could be doing God's will, doing a variety of things in this world. That's where Paul's leading us, I think, in even just this little bit of a passage here. J.I. Packer, in his great book, Knowing God, he says, one can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. And he points out, and I've added a couple things to his list, but he points out we can hear sermons. We can read books. We can have conversations about God, listen to podcasts, watch things on TV, see movies that relate to it, documentaries, spend a lifetime in church. And yet, if we're not careful, we could only have information about God rather than a life-changing relationship with God. And there's a difference between those two. We're not just interested in knowledge about who God is. There's something distinctive here that Paul is getting at. Paul puts together three things. The knowledge of the will of God, and the Spirit gives all these. And within that, he says, somehow pointing back to those, wisdom and understanding are with those. Those fill the knowledge of the will of God and how we're going to get to that point. So how do we develop this attitude of joyful prayer to get to that, that knowledge of the will of God? Let's just take a quick peek at wisdom and understanding. Wisdom, Proverbs 8, 22, is a good passage to just point us in the right direction. It says, the Lord brought me, and me is wisdom. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. Wisdom is a gift. It's given from the very beginning so that we know how to decode God's world. So that we know how to live in it. So we know what to do with the world God has given us. He's given us wisdom. We can have plenty of knowledge of the world. Plenty of people do, but without wisdom, we have no idea how to use it as God intended. 
That's why God gave wisdom. That's why I would suggest wisdom is a part of understanding the knowledge of the will of God. So we know what God intended with his world in the first place and how to live within it. Understanding comes with that. Here it's the idea of knowing God and living into it. Scripture, we believe, is essential to gaining understanding of who God is. It's God's revelation to us. It's not a book written by humans for humans. It's given by God to us to understand who he is, what his character is, how to access that wisdom and how to live in the world for what God intended. And if we lack understanding about who God is and how to work in his world, we have scripture and we can actually kind of work backwards to get there. Second uh, Peter 1, 5 through 7 is a good example here. Peter writes, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. We're not going to go through the whole list. I just want to give two examples on either end. We're talking about understanding, and understanding how to work in God's world, and what God has intended. Peter starts his list with doing good. And it's interesting, the word that he's using there can be a, self, a, a little bit of a self-serving good. It's not, that's not what goodness really is, but it can start that way. That is to say, a person might not have that full knowledge of God, but they have an inkling. They know they want to do good. They know they want to lean that way. And Peter says, put the training wheels on and start. Do good. And it may be the fact that at that point, you might be doing good because it's not only good for the other person, but it gives you the good feels or whatever it is. But it's a start. By the time you move up through the list, though, you can't live there. You've got to move well beyond any goodness that would bring accolades or good feelings as a primary duty or primary part of it. He moves up to godliness, and he keeps going on in the list, obviously, but by the time you get to godliness, there could be no selfishness in a godly act towards someone else. The training wheels have had to come off by this point. If we're going to gain understanding, we step into it. We may not have pure motives to begin with, but God can do a work in us to bring us along and shape us so that we actually have the knowledge of the will of God as we actually begin stepping into that faith in Christ. Now, as we apply this to the idea of prayer, this is where I want to land at this point. I said, if you, know God's, if you want to know God's will, pray. And I think there's a lot there to chew on and to think through. Evagrius the Solitary, writing in about the 4th century, says, do not be distressed if you do not at once receive from God what you ask. He wishes to give you something better to make you persevere in prayer. For what is better to enjoy the love of God and to be in communion with him? This is just kind of genius if you just dwell on this for a moment. You go to God thinking you want something, and Evagri says, but actually what you really want is the love of God and communion with him. That's actually your goal. And you'll discover that when you're in prayer with God. The more you're in prayer with God, that's what you actually want. We discover who God is and what he actually wants as we commune with him in prayer. As we live with him within his scripture and gain wisdom and understanding. I want to give you then, as we consider this, 
four simple areas as we talked about what's the quality of your prayer life, four simple areas to consider in your own prayer life to make sure that we do walk forward towards the knowledge of the will of God, seeking that wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And the first thing I would say, if we're talking about praying and praying joyfully and being in communion with God through prayer, is that you have to schedule the prayer. It doesn't have to be rigid, but you you can't say, I want to pray and then never do it. Somehow, it has to become a priority is what I mean. I was talking to a friend this week. I'm part of a a pastor's, monthly pastor's prayer group here in Lincoln that started a couple years ago. And I've been to most of them. Uh, I I didn't get, wasn't invited until a couple months into it, but I've been to most of them over the past two years. Really, really exciting to go sit with other pastors and ministry leaders in Lincoln and just pray and have that commitment to do it monthly. But I was talking to the leader this week who's become a friend, and uh, he was pointing out there are still pastors and ministry leaders that will sometimes say, yes, I value this, but they never make it. Well, do we value it or not then? You know, we have a a Monday prayer evening. Um, I'll get to the praying together in a little bit, but that's a great way to to make sure that it gets on your schedule. You can have times in your day. I have a, a time where I start the day every day in prayer. That's a thing I'm going to do every day. I pray at the same time. Um, schedule it. If it doesn't get on the schedule, you say it's, it's, you're saying it's not important. If we want to know the will of God, we pray. Second thing is increase your vocabulary of prayer. It's easy to pray for the same things the same way and probably get the same results. And that's not an argument against consistency in fact, I think it's really important to have disciplines that we, we know really well, that we can go to when times get the toughest. You need those. But we also want to increase in how we do those, whether it's prayer or reading scripture or whatever it might be, or even worship corporately. Consistency matters in prayer, but also changing our vocabulary and what we pray about will matter. So instead of praying for, simply praying for love, perhaps pray for justice. Instead of when somebody's going in for surgery or something like that, instead of simply praying for rest in the hands of the doctors and nurses, perhaps we could pray for healing. Instead of uh, simply praying to God as Father or God, we could expand our vocabulary in the names and attributes of God and discover, in fact, that he's doing a lot in this world, and he's calling us to a lot as we do that. Third thing I'd point out, by the way, you can use the Psalms to increase your vocabulary. It's a wonderful way to do it. If you're, if you're stumped, just start reading the Psalms and praying those. We do it with our confirmation students, seventh and eighth graders. It increases your vocabulary remarkably. Third thing I would point out, if we're going to pray joyfully and begin to walk or, or move more towards the knowledge of the will of God, our emphasis in our prayer, and this goes with vocabulary, those two go together. Pray less about yourself and more about others. That's helpful. Spend less time on the needs around you, although those are important, I'm not saying don't, but often that's where our our prayers entirely consist. And spend a little more time praying on God's presence and character and praising God. Even though it's important that we take our petitions to God, perhaps spend a little less time on those and more time in specifically asking, God, what's your will? Where have you called me? 
and those around me. And fourth is the issue of proximity, is what I've stated here. Praying with others matters. Praying alone, very important. Praying with others matters too. It's important for the encouragement of the body of Christ. It will increase your vocabulary. And I know a lot of people resist this for a couple of reasons. One, they resist praying together with others because they're not, they say they're not very good at praying out loud. That's fine, but then go back to that Second Peter passage and just start, even if you're not super good at it. It's okay. My experience is most people at prayer meetings aren't sitting around judging your prayers. The other thing, thank you, prayer leader. Uh, the other thing that stops people sometimes, and this does affect us still, is that people read something like Matthew 6, 5 and 6. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And some people don't come to prayer in groups or don't want to corporately pray for that reason. They say, well, that's what Jesus commanded us to do. And they don't mean it fully, but they kind of do in the end. I've, I've encountered this many times. And if that's the case, then when Garrett prayed before and when I pray at the end, you might need to talk to us about that later because then we perhaps have gone against the words of Jesus. But if I may point out, Matthew 5.30, so just a matter of a few verses before, says, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus didn't change the way he's stating things here. He's still being hyperbolic, making big giant statements to make a point. Why do we take one so literally and the other metaphorically? We need to get the point. Jesus didn't say don't pray together with others and don't pray out loud. He said don't make a show of it. Don't make it like you're the focus of the prayer. We need to pray with others, though. It matters. Jesus also said, Matthew 18, Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Wouldn't we rather be a part of that power? That God is there when we come together and pray. J.I. Packer, again, knowing God, I think this is a, a great quote to end on, and then I have one challenge question. He says, people who know their God are before anything else people who pray. And the first point where their zeal and energy for God's glory comes to expression is in their prayers. People who know their God are people who pray. If you want to know the will of God, pray. Pray. That's Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. I would suggest it's his prayer for us. And that should be our prayer for one another. So the challenge question I have for you, I talked at the beginning about what's, your, how, what's the quality of your prayer life, but let's, let's round it out with this simple thing. What small step is next for you to increase in the knowledge and the will of God? What small step do you need to take to increase in the knowledge of the will of God, to lean into what the Spirit is already offering and doing? in your prayer life. For me, I'll just tell you one way I responded to that very idea this week is by memorizing the passage. And I found it remarkably refreshing to be able to pray the passage without looking at the text and have it going over and over in my mind this week. 
as I worked it through. It doesn't take much to move into that knowledge of the will of God, but it does take something to begin that path. What next step do you need to take? Let's pray together.